Welcome to another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. And today we have a little bit of a surprise. You don't have to hear my voice for the next 30, 40 minutes. We have a guest on and it's someone y'all are familiar with. Uh, It's the man that left us for the Big Apple, Peter Baugh, still of The Athletic. Welcome back to the show, sir. Very, very happy to be here. I was, Arif, when when you mentioned me a couple weeks ago about messaged me about doing this i was instantly i knew i was gonna do it I, I, it was not a question it's uh it's kind of wild how fast the years have kind of like flown by 24 months ago uh we had an idea jj and i to get peter on a little more consistently and we did that and it just so happened to be the right year to do that we did some fun shows in edmonton and it just kind of is all it's all in the past now it's crazy how much time has flown how much has changed but uh, some things never change and, you know, being able to chat with somebody who you've done it with before in the past is really easy. So this is going to be a fun show. It's going to be a fun episode. Um, and it's going to be nice to just kind of catch up. I'm sure the fans will like it too. We are obviously heading into the all-star break. The avalanche have three representatives. The Rangers have, what is it? Two with Trocheck? Two at uh, three. If you count Lobulat, Shesterkin, and Trocek Oh yes. Okay. And cool. Nice. And Baron would go, but he's uh, expecting yeah. a, a baby, so it's yeah. not going to be there. Nice. All right. Well, for starters, let's talk about that. You know, you uh, it was about two-ish, oh, dang, three months ago now where you told us that you were going to be making the move, and it's been about, what, six weeks now? Was it mid-December-ish kind of time? Yeah, I moved out to New York December 30th, so it's been, oh, about, so it's been a month. about a month. Okay. Yeah. Nice. That's wild. But I uh, left Colorado just because of logistically of my stuff being moved. I think I left Colorado around December 20th or so. Okay. Yeah. And obviously the holidays and everything. Did you end up going to that Colorado game in St. Louis? I did. Yeah. Nice. I went to that. Um, it was not a very exciting hockey game. If I remember no. it correctly. That was the one where McKinnon did not have a point. The only time in like the last three and a half months. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> it was a historic night in a way. That's um, funny. Because Nathan McKinnon did not have a point. But yeah, I went to that game and yeah, saw some some folks, did a little reporting that you might pop up at some point in the next few weeks. And um yeah, so it, it was uh, it was good to see everyone. And uh yeah, I always like going to St. Louis has gooey butter cake in the press box, which is a, a staple of St. Louis. Um and that so I made sure to to uh indulge myself there. I would love to do a podcast right now and send it to only the 15 or 20 people that care about what the snacks look like in New York, what the media <laughs> meal looks like in New York, but literally nobody is going to care about that except for me and like 10 other people in that avalanche press box. So um, speaking of the move to New York, just how's it going for you? How's the adjustment been personally and professionally? Because I'm I'm just genuinely curious in the middle of a season to make a move like that, how it feels and, and just how it's rolling. Yeah, I think during the middle of the season is definitely a, it's always a whirlwind when you move, especially when it's like a moving cross country. I think doing it in the middle of a season makes it a little more of a whirlwind. There's just a lot going on. Everyone's kind of in their rhythm, the players, the other writers, and you're kind of coming in trying to figure out your place and your role. So it, it, it's definitely been, um, a whirlwind, but it's been really, really fun. I've really enjoyed it. Um, just kind of introducing myself to new people and, um, like I think there are some, some cool story opportunities out here that I'm really excited to do. And, um, I think all of those things made it really appealing. I think it was, it was honestly the, 
it was much harder leaving Denver than it was coming to New York, if that makes sense. The like the transition of leaving Denver was really sad. And just like I obviously have a lot of people I love there, a lot of lot of great memories. And um it was it's a really special place to me. So then but then getting to New York, I actually felt like pretty at home pretty quickly in terms of my neighborhood and and just walking around and taking the subway. I really like all of those elements. So I, I think I was able to kind of get settled quickly in a in a like especially in my personal life and then work-wise it's it's certainly figuring out a lot of new faces and navigating all of that but it's been really fun yeah i would say that's kind of the one part of it that i would be most interested in i i consider myself a pretty well-rounded hockey guy not just avalanche but you can put me in any of the other 31 dressing rooms take out all the nameplates and there's probably half the faces I wouldn't even know who they are. You know, I know what Mika Zibanejad looks like, Chris Kreider, or Igor Shesterkin, but there are definitely like I couldn't tell you probably until about a week ago what Philip Heedle's face looked like or yeah. or anything like that. So Zach Jones isn't isn't uh, yeah, that's true, that's true. Yeah. So so when it comes to uh, professionally, I'm genuinely curious about that adjustment because you know you were here in Denver for three years. You you covered this team for three full seasons, which is wild because of that half year. And, and, and then, you know, a quarter of this season or whatever it was, how was that professional adjustment? Like in terms of, you know, there's 20 something guys in this dressing room in Denver that you're used to talking to, you know, their agents, you have connections, you have these kind of ways to write these stories. We all remember the stories you've written. You've, you've written about Kadri and talked to his family. You've written about other players and talked to their families how do you adjust and kind of transition to New York? Is it reaching out to agents that might also cover players there? Is it just trying to familiarize yourself with the players and then get connections through them? Like, how does that all work for you, especially in the middle of the season? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is just introducing yourself to people within the dressing room, the the players themselves, and and making sure they know who you are. And I mean, it's it's one of those things where in Colorado, I I think I was able to like build trust with the players of they knew that maybe I'd be critical, but of their play, but that it would be fair, or at least I would be able to justify what I was saying. And so kind of that trust that I, I built is all now here. It's, there's none of that. Like, so I kind of have to reestablish that. And so just introducing myself to the team has been like the biggest things, just like going around and kind of like saying hi to every guy and, trying to make sure they know who I am and they'll probably forget my name and that's okay, but at least hopefully they remember my face. And um, so that's been kind of, I think professionally, like how I've gone about it is just trying to like introduce myself. And like, I think that's the the best thing you can do. So it's uh, still early on in the process, I'd say. And I'm hopeful that I think like the more I'm around the team, the more I'll, I'll get to know these, these guys a little bit, but I, that's kind of where I've been with all of it. You have been covering the Rangers mostly. I know you're doing some Islander stuff too. We'll talk about that in a second, but pretty much for the entire month of January, you would say, is that when you started? Yeah, I definitely, I think when we started, the idea is to like kind of, I'll be doing stuff on all three of the the teams in the metro area. But I think when I first got here, it was, like I said, a whirlwind and we were kind of starting on one one thing. So yeah, a lot of Rangers to start in January. 25, nine and one was the New York Rangers record <laughs> on December 31st. Enter January 1st, enter Peter Baugh. They are five, seven and two. Peter, did you break the New York Rangers? 
I think I must have. I think my presence just is, I'm an intimidating guy. They're probably playing a little more tight to, they know, they know I'm watching now. So yeah, they have not played particularly well uh, since I've been here. They've, some of their uh, better players have, have struggled and um, yeah, just, and that's, I mean, there are lulls in any season. I think there are some holes on the roster that are maybe getting exposed. Um, but I, I think that a lot of it also could just be that this is a, a bit of a, they're in a bit of a funk as a team and they'll break out of it. The truth is probably like somewhere in between the <laughs> best case scenario and the worst yeah. case scenario. Um, I think they're a pretty good hockey team. I don't know if they're the best team record wise in the league, like they were, or at least I think they were in the Eastern conference at one point, maybe when I started. Um, but I, I, I think they're a pretty good team. That's, that's going to be in contention to win playoff series and and maybe go on a run if things break right. And a lot of that will depend on Shesterkin, who's kind of struggled in the last few weeks. I remember seeing your tweets from that first game you covered. It was at home against Carolina, and it was like this exciting, like, I'm here in New York, here are the line rushes, all the things that we're used to seeing with Avalanche players. It was Rangers players. And then three hours later, it was final score. Rangers lose to Carolina six to one. Then they, two nights later, they beat Chicago. And then within two weeks after that Chicago game, they lost six more times. And I'm just like, Whoa. and they've given a up a lot of goals in the losses. Yeah. 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 And they're not scoring much. They scored two against the blues, two against the caps, once against the Kings, which might be literally the only win the Kings have had over the last month. <laughs> once against Vegas, they lost to San Jose in overtime. They scored two against Vegas and another loss a week later. They obviously rounded it out with a big seven to two win over the, over the senators the other day, obviously, but um, it's just wild to see how little they've scored and things like that. And this was a team like, back when you were here around Thanksgiving, you were looking at the Rangers like, this might be the best team in hockey. And now they've kind of lowered themselves to the rest of the pack, similar to the Vegas Golden Knights who started 11-0-1 or whatever. And uh, it's just wild to see the differences. But like you said, you know, my favorite quote that players always say, they've said it to me, they've said it to you, they've said it to a lot of people, is things aren't always as good as you might think they are and things aren't always as bad as you might think they are given the stretches that teams go on. We all remember the Stanley cup year, the avalanche went two and four to start the year. And then I think like 45 and five, the rest of the way, or yeah, something they had crazy a, like that. a team meeting after losing back-to-back -back games to Columbus. Uh, yeah. I think where they were like, we need to figure this out. And then, yeah, yeah they were money the rest of the season. So you've done a lot of Ranger stuff, but lately the New York Islanders who are kind of like, not in a mean way, the second fiddle part of that 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 new job title that you have where you're going to be helping out of that metropolitan area. Obviously, the Devils are there too. They've been a little struggling here and there with injuries and, and just their overall play. But the New York Islanders, the Avalanche the other day were in Philadelphia for an 11 a.m. Mountain Time game to close out their road trip. And the game ends and I obviously was not there. And I went to refresh Twitter just to read some quotes on Jared Bednar. And I see a picture of Patrick Waugh's face just slapped onto the top of my my timeline with a shaved beard and a New York Islanders logo. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And it was like this whole long thing. Lambert fired, blah, 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 blah. Last line, Patrick Waugh hired as coach. Suddenly, Peter's covering Patrick Waugh and the New York Islanders. So for starters, tell me about that experience. That first time you went in there, I think you were there for his initial presser with the New York Islanders. Yeah, well, I had kind of a similar reaction of I I saw the news on Twitter and I, I immediately was like, 
I sh- I need to make sure this is from a real account and I'm not like about to get duped by like some fake account. And then it was it was a real account. Like the Islanders really did hire him, and it was yeah, it was kind of classic Lou Lamorello. If yeah. you don't see it coming, and then suddenly he's made a pretty monumental change involving big names, and it just is out in the world as soon as it's official. So I uh, Patrick Waugh, I never covered in Colorado, but it was it was fun going. I think the I went to the first practice he had. Um, it was a morning skate. Uh, I think they played the Stars that night and won in his first game in overtime. And I went to the morning skate, and it's he's a very energetic person. Like he's slamming his stick on the ice, he's whistling with his mouth and not with an actual it's whistle. So and cool. he's yeah, he's just like going 110 miles per hour all the time. It feels like, and um, I hadn't been to a, a, a Lambert skate. Um, Elaine Lambert skate, but I, I asked some of the other reporters and they were like, yeah, this is, this is not a normal vibe of a practice under, under Lane Lambert. So um, for better or worse, he's definitely changing the way they're going about things and bringing a lot of, a lot of energy, whether the team is good enough, that's, I guess, to be determined and whether or not was good enough to elevate them as a coach, that's to be determined. Cause obviously there, it was a bit of a mixed bag in Colorado, but he's had a ton of success at the junior level since then and um it certainly makes the islanders a far more interesting team to the outside i would say i think patrick was one of the the more like polarizing figures in hockey in a way and certainly a bundle of personality and competitiveness and and all these things that um add to i guess the the like aura of the islanders like i think it, it certainly makes it really interesting yeah, the last time that I saw something as random and crazy, like you said, classic Lou with something like that on Twitter was 2015, maybe 2016, whatever it was, literally Lou Lamorello himself after seemingly controlling the New Jersey Devils and running that franchise probably my entire life to that point. I don't remember how many years he was there exactly. Randomly seeing Toronto Maple Leafs, Brendan Shanahan have hired Lou Lamorello. So like it is such a Lou thing with his own news, with things like that. I heard a story. Uh, I think it was Nick Kiprios that said this story the other day on uh, Sportsnet where when the Devils were making that first round draft pick trade in New Jersey at the draft, the ninth overall pick for Corey Schneider from the Vancouver Canucks. And the first round ended up being Bo Horvat. So it was a pretty big deal at the time. The Devils ultimately traded Horvat for Corey Schneider, who they thought would be their goalie to replace Brodeur for the next couple decades. Uh, Lou Lamorello told the Vancouver front office, up until Gary Bettman walks on that stage, if I see a leak of this trade on Twitter, it's done. We're breaking it off. It does not leak anywhere. Social media, elsewhere, otherwise, there cannot be a single rumor. It's the way he runs things, and it just kind of was such a bombshell of a of, of a of a news there with Patrick Waugh. But in terms of his on ice, I think that that was the way he was in Colorado. I obviously did not cover Patrick Waugh either, but I was there, you know, coming in and watching a lot of practices. The whistling is is fascinating. The energy. He's just a very much a larger than life kind of person. I think in Denver there was a lot more of not necessarily I'm the star of the show, but there was not as much of a humbled Patrick Waugh as what we've seen so far in two weeks. Obviously, it could change, uh, but I'm I'm like genuinely intrigued by how this goes because any other name, any other person without the reputation this guy has with how he left the Avalanche would have probably gotten hired a long time ago. 
given the way that it's gone in juniors, especially this past season with the Quebec Ramparts. It was a masterclass of hockey. It was a masterclass by Patrick Juan, his coaching staff, which I think involved Simone Gagné, former NHL player, and a couple other guys. So I'm genuinely interested to see how this goes. I love that Semyon Varlamov's there because if there are, of the many names that Patrick Waugh coached in Denver, Semyon Varlamov and probably Eric Johnson are the two that will tell you he helped their careers most. Mm. So I'm really, really curious to see how it goes there. Obviously, Varley, I think he's been playing a lot more, right? Sorokin's hurt. Is that right? Well, no, Varlamov was hurt. And then he played the two games going into the break, I think, just mm. to give Sorokin a bit of a... Okay. I think they said that he wanted him to have a little bit more of a break on top of the All-Star break. Uh, you went to that game out in Montreal, Patrick Waugh's return, which from afar was really weird. And I'll tell you why before you tell me your experience, because Patrick obviously was traded out of Montreal in 1995 when I was two. I am 30. <laughs> uh, he came back to Montreal with the Colorado Avalanche three times to coach. There was even in one of the seasons, the 2014-15 season, the Avalanche played two preseason games against the Montreal Canadiens. They did one at Bell Center. And then they did one at, I think it's called Videotron or whatever it's called, the one in Quebec against the Canadians. He has made many, many comebacks to Montreal. Why was this comeback suddenly like the first time all over again? How was that experience for you, the national anthem, all that stuff? Yeah, I was not, I kind of felt the same way. I didn't expect there to, I had kind of gotten word before the game at some point that there was going to be some sort of tribute video. And I was kind of like, what, really? What? Like, cause I was thinking the same thing. He'd been there plenty of times. He's been celebrated plenty of times. I think it just goes to show kind of, I mean, Montreal is an organization that really loves its own history and rightfully so. Like there's yeah. a lot of history there. There's a lot of, uh, it's a, you know, it's a storied, the most storied franchise probably in, in the NHL. So I think it's, this is, was in a way an opportunity to recognize their own history as an organization um, and, and just recognize Patrick Waugh. I mean, this is a guy who is a pretty central figure in the NHL for a long, long time as a player. Then he was away for a few years and then as a coach. And, and then in the last I don't know, six years or when he left Colorado, I guess in August, 2016 in the six, seven years since then, he kind of has been out of the spotlight. And I think this was, it was almost like welcoming Patrick Waugh back into the NHL as much as anything else, rather than welcoming him back to Montreal. Obviously it was welcoming him back to Montreal too, but I think it was more just like a, it, it, it felt like just collectively the Montreal crowd was just really happy that he was back in the NHL. And it was pretty, I mean, you kind of get in the national anthem, like that starts playing. It's a great national anthem to begin with. And then I wasn't looking at the video board, but suddenly you just hear like screams of like, and it's like, what's, what's going on? And you look up and you see the Patrick Waugh highlights and it's, it's a pretty, like, it was, uh, it, it was, it was definitely a memorable moment in terms of like, crowd noise and energy and it's something that like i don't know it was, it was a really like just seeing a canadian crowd get that excited i think you it's pretty special and montreal is just such a great building such a great crowd um it was it was really cool yeah it was it was fascinating to watch i have this theory that montreal especially over the last month kind of hasn't had much to root for and much to cheer for and it was just nice to give them something and i think that was part of it for the fans 
uh, I wonder how it feels to be Marty St. Louis watching all that. Like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the guy that's doing it here, but, uh, just a fascinating uh, experience. I'm so excited. I know Patty was already here or not Patty, but the Islanders were here January 2nd. Uh, they did not look like a good team, but I'm so excited to see Patty back in Denver. Next season is going to be really fascinating. We all know him and Joe Sackett kind of uh, were seen together a lot in Toronto during the Hall of Fame for era for Pierre Lacroix. So I'm just genuinely excited to see Patty back here at Ball Arena, morning skate, things like that. But let's shift from New York, Long Island, Patrick Waugh to the Colorado Avalanche. And one of my most uh, curious questions that I have for you is how do you view this team now from afar where you are not in there every single day? And let me just give you an example. I listen to a lot of radio shows that are hockey centric and, and um, back in October, November, when we are all sitting here talking about how Georgiev is struggling and Prosvitov is not working and the avalanche, Ryan Johansson's not scoring and Druen is a failure so far. And like all of these things that we're talking about and nitpicking every time I put on a national coverage, a uh, national hockey coverage show, it's just like, yeah. And then there's a Colorado avalanche. They're going to be one of the contenders. Like it's just such a brushed off. Like, yeah, they're going to figure it out because they are not seeing, or some of these people are not seeing the every day that you and I were seeing. And the, you know, living, not living and dying, but literally seeing every piece of a practice, a morning skate, an injury update, a, a line combination. How do you view them now from afar? Yeah. I mean, I, I still think I'm a little, a little closer to them than like a, a being just like a f super afar because I am still like, I, I've tried to, if I'm not doing something, I watch their games. I, I still follow all you guys on Twitter. So know kind of what the general more everyday concerns are, but it is, I know exactly what you're saying of one of my editors who I talk to a lot is a, he's a huge hockey fan and watches a lot of hockey. And he just is like, every time I talk to him and I'm like, who, who do you think's like going to come out of the West? He's always like, it's going to be Colorado. They have Nathan yeah. McKinnon, they have Kel McCarr, they have Mika Rantanen. And so like, I, I do think in the day to day, you can kind of get bogged down in the like little details, which I think is fair because I think oftentimes that is what makes a, a good team great is if they have the depth and, and supporting pieces to, to kind of carry them to the next level. Uh, but I, I think it was, it, it is funny, like kind of the general perception of Colorado from the outside versus the inside um, where, where you do kind of see the, maybe the flaws. I think one of the things that's maybe, I, I guess how, like given me some perspective on Colorado is just seeing how other teams are flawed too. Like, I, I think that you kind of, when you're focused so much on one team, the Avalanche, like we've been in the past few years, you like don't necessarily see like, you just see like, oh, is there, are they good enough at second line center? Do they have enough depth at forward? Is their goaltending sustainable? You see all of these things, but you don't necessarily see oh, the Rangers aren't getting great performances from Igor Shesterkin. Oh, their bottom six isn't quite as good. Like you don't see the holes that, are apparent to the people who are around the other teams, the other powerhouses that um, that those people see on a day to day basis. So it's it's kind of funny to um, now be covering the Rangers and like seeing like holes that I maybe wasn't aware of when I was covering the Avalanche on a daily basis, just because you kind of assume like, oh, Igor Shostakovich will be fine or or whatever. Like these problems will work themselves out. Um, so I, I understand fully what you were saying about like the 
separation kind of allowing you to see that. Yeah. One of, one of my favorite practices that I like to do, and, and I, I honestly recommend listeners to do the same thing is whenever there is a move made, you know, an acquisition, a trade, whatever it is, look at the reaction that you get on the avalanche side, bringing in this player and then go to the team page for the team that traded the player, read the reaction from fans there, and then look up some of their reporters and read the reactions there. Just to kind of get a vibe of not just your point of view, but the point of view of the team letting go of this player. Not necessarily a trade, but the other day, the Avalanche announced they're signing Zach Parise. One-year deal for the rest of the season. And, you know, you got a lot of Avalanche fans that were happy with it. You got a lot of Avalanche fans in my mentions responding to other reporters, responding to the Avalanche Twitter account itself, saying, yeah, this is not the move. We need a sec second-line center. We need this. We need that. He's not going to help. He's old. He's washed up. He's this. He's that. And then you go to the New York Islanders side and it's just yep. a whole bunch of, they took him from us. He was such a trooper. I miss this guy. I love this guy. Lou Lamorello ruined this. And it's like, you don't really understand it. Like an example I can give on the avalanche side, not that this is going to happen, but if Logan O'Connor was traded next month and some other team gets him, they're going to be like, okay, 25 points in 60 games. Okay, cool. Sure. Which for yeah. Logan O'Connor already is a large amount of points and a great point per game pace. And then you go to the Avalanche side and it would just be tears. And how dare you trade this guy? And Logan O'Connor's our favorite third liner, fourth liner, whatever the heck he is now, second liner. So that's always my favorite thing to do. You don't necessarily get the picture until you see it from both sides uh, to kind of understand what you're receiving, what's going out and kind of getting the viewpoint from afar and from in close and especially doing it with reporters as well is my favorite thing to see what reporters have to say about a player coming in or going out. Totally. And I think Parisi, that's like an easy signing for that. Yeah. Like if, if Zach Parisi calls and is like, I'll sign for the minimum, I want to play with you guys and chase a cup. You say, yep, here's the paper sure. sign, yeah. sign the dotted line. Like he's, it, it's essentially a like Thomas Tatar do over. In a yeah. way, you got rid of Tatar for, and you got a fifth round pick out of it for paying a fourth of the year's salary. And then now all of a sudden you have Zach Parisi for less money. And he, I mean, this was a guy who put up 21 goals last year who was on the penalty kill. And I think that like, we've seen how Jared Bednar operates. Jared Bednar is going to trust Zach Parisi. A and lot. For better or worse, he did not trust Thomas Tatar. Like they didn't put him in, it, when games got tight and late, he was often the one getting slid down the lineup. I think Zach Parisi is a guy who he is going to, he knows he will be in the right spots on the ice. Maybe he physically won't do the right things every time. Like his body might not be able to skate as fast as it used to. His shot might not be perfect every single time, but like he's going to be in the right spots. And I think that uh, that's coaches really value that you look at like, Coaches, well, I mean, you look at, like, like, just look back at Martin Kaut of like, there could be in a 10 game sample size, there could be two games where he was better than like a lot, like looked like one of a really good player. Um, and then there's five where he's like, eh, and then there's three where he's pretty bad. The like Jared Benner will always take an Andrew Cogliano, who's going to be a six out of 10 every single night. Like that, he will always take like the consistency. I know what I'm getting. And Zach Breezy is a guy who he's going to know what he can get out of. And I think it's going to be a, a good fit. 
he's a, I mean, I, like you said, like the people in the, who cover the devils were like, I had multiple people tell me like, he's still got good hockey left in him. Like this is a good player. And you can see that by the other teams that were interested in him. I think that Russo reported that Boston might've been in the mix and, and like there are good teams who wanted him and he's a player you add if you're trying to win. It's a, it's a good pickup. There was a question to Jared Bednar, I forget from which media member, a couple of weeks ago before Lekkonen came back. Logan O'Connor was pretty much playing top six minutes for a couple of weeks. Um, well, he still is, but he's back with Colton and Wood. But it was like Johansson, Nichushkin, and O'Connor, something like that. And why Logan, why Logan, why Logan? And Jared reiterated many times, he's a player I trust. I know what I'm going to get. Yeah. So you can put somebody like... Tatar up there when he was here and one game Tatar will give you the 48 point Tatar that you saw last season. And then the next game or the next few games, he won't give you that where his ice time is going 15 minutes, seven minutes, 12 minutes, eight minutes, like Logan O'Connor, Andrew Cogliano, Zach Parise. These are the guys that coaches love to have on their roster. It's why people pull their hair out when they see that Jack Johnson's part of the top six, but you know, Odd turnover here or there. Jack Johnson, Jared knows what he's going to get from this guy as a number six defenseman. Has his ceiling been as high as, let's say, Caleb Jones in some of his games? Probably not. But Caleb Jones isn't giving you the consistency that Jack Johnson is granted. I think Caleb Jones has been fine when he's been in as well. So that's my favorite thing about Zach. What I what I loved about hearing Jared talk about him was his reliability. You know, he's played 82 games each of the last two seasons. He talked about his Andrew Cogliano-like leadership, and he specifically mentioned Andrew Cogliano. He's a guy that they're going to love in the room like Cogliano, who the year the Avalanche acquired him, he signed like a league men contract with the lowly San Jose Sharks at free agency, probably the day after, you know, the first day of free agency. Like he wasn't a, a priority to anybody. And suddenly he's been here for three years. So I think that's going to be great. Another thing that sticks out to me with Parise, like you said, special teams, he's averaged between 15 and 16 minutes the last couple seasons with the Islanders. Each season, he has multiple shorthanded goals and multiple power play goals. Literally, he has two shorthanded goals each of the last two seasons. So it legitimately is exactly what it needs to be to be multiple. But it's a guy that basically what I'm trying to say is he plays all of those roles. I genuinely think within the first 10 games that he's back, probably closer to 10 than one because he's got to get his feet under him and kind of get back up to game pace, which will take a little bit of time. There's going to be a game where Zach Parise is among the top five in ice time for forwards. And if you look at what the Avalanche's roster looks like right now, Rantanen, McKinnon, Druin, Lekkinen. Those are, you're assuming, until Natrushkin's back. Those four guys are going to play the most minutes every single game. There is going to be a game where Zach Parise is number five, where it's going to be like, holy moly, Parise played 18 minutes today? What? Where did that come from? Like, he's going to trust him in that way. Yeah, I think you're correct. And I think it, I'm really interested to see how the fit works. I'm interested to see where he plays him. Like, do you break up the Colton Wood O'Connor line at any yeah. point, or do you that line has great chemistry? But, um, but we've seen Jared like split up lines with good chemistry to balance out the lineup before. So I'm curious, kind of how he'll he'll go about that. It's going to be really fascinating, and um, I think I mean, again, I I think it's a no brainer signing. I don't think this is this isn't peak Zach Parisi that you're getting, but I don't think they need him to be peak Zach Parisi. I think they just need him to give him some 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 like good minutes, depth scoring, defensively responsible. And that's exactly what 
that like I think they're confident they can get that and it's eight hundred thousand dollars. It's not you're not paying him two million. So you don't really compromise anything cap wise as you're looking towards the deadline. Speaking of the deadline, 39 days away, perfect transition in a broader stroke. You and I have been talking a lot about some of the moves the avalanche can make. And, you know, we tend to do it every year as we get closer to the deadline, they should look at this kind of trade, that kind of trade in a broader brush, whether it's one, two or three, what are the spots in the lineup? The Avalanche should fill March 8 realistically. You know, you can tell me they can add Sidney Crosby as a second line center. And yeah, that'll make him a cup contender. But realistically, what are the two or three or however many moves they could make to fill out this roster? Whether or not they can get a second line center, I just I do think they need center depth. Whether whether or not it's like a top six level center, I just think that you look at down the middle right now. You have McKinnon, who's one of the two or three best centers in the world. And then you have Colton and you have Johansson and you have uh, Freddie Olofsson. And then all of a sudden it's like, is, is Andrew Cogliano your fifth option at center? Like, like what is Ben Myers getting called up in the, for a, to play fourth line center in a playoff game? Like you, they need depth up the middle. Um, I think you, you, it get after McKinnon, it gets a little hairy pretty quickly and whether or not, I mean, I think obviously in an ideal world, the team has a second line center that brings, incredible like 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 a, like a Nazem Kadri from two years ago where you're br- like bringing offense and defensively responsible that might not be out there they might not be able to get that but I think just getting even like a, a third line center just to have another option of a body that you can have in there and that if someone gets hurt can can kind of swing up and down the lineup so I think center depth is is the biggest thing ideally for them a second line center who you can really trust but in general, they just need more more bodies there, I think. Um, and then goaltending is interesting, too. I think you have to decide um, how you want to approach the second half of this season. Of They're riding Georgiev a lot right now. And he hasn't been great. He's been dirt. Like, he's played a lot, and he's given them the games that they've needed him to play. Um, but how can you get to a point where he is at his best come the postseason? Like, you, you need him playing at his best. You need him rested who can you get anyone or do you have anyone within the organization that can give him a little more rest? So I, I think that those are um, the two big areas. I actually think defensively, like a, a, of their defensemen, I think you've got a pretty clear top six. If everyone's healthy of um, McCart, top eight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I think Jones and Malinsky are good. And even like in a, you want to have eight guys that you trust in the playoffs for yeah. defense. Um and like worst case scenario, like Brad Hunt can play a playoff game or whatever, and that's your ninth guy. I, I mean, maybe you can pick up one extra guy just to have another option. Um, but I think they're okay there. I think it's center. And even if they get like a, a fourth line center and that gives them a little more depth there, then maybe you add try and find another wing that can help you just to like kind of bolster the lineup and make it a little more complete. Yeah, they they put a uh, Brad Hunt plate 47 regular season one playoff game last year, and that's ninth on your depth chart now. I think just something as simple as signing a college free agent in Malinsky, I was going to say waivers, but it was a trade for Cal Burke, Caleb Jones, like just bringing in a couple of guys like that makes it so that now leading up to the deadline where there's a lot of teams looking for a Caleb Jones caliber number six, seven, eight guy 
you don't need to worry about that as much. It's not your priority. If you ended the trade deadline striking out on the one depth piece defenseman that you're talking about, it's not the end of the world. Uh, to me, this team from the roster, the one player you can see going out is Ryan Johansson. They probably need to do that just to make the salary cap work. Uh, but the, the, the big thing for me are the, the way that I see it, two centermen, or let's say two forwards that can play center and a backup goalie. Those are the two that stick out to me, because if you do that and Ryan Johansson's the only player that comes off your roster, well, with the Zach Parise edition, now you're at a point without even including Landeskog or Kovalenko, which are like these weird wild cards that may or may not join the team at some point this year, without even including those. Now you're at a point where. You have 12 guys playing, and then Olafson and Kivi Rantar are 13 and 14. It takes until number 15 to get Curtis McDermott into the lineup. And then you still have like the Jason Polins and the guys like that that you can call up in a pinch. You know, McDermott hasn't played a playoff game in two seasons, if I am remembering and understanding yeah, correctly. He, they played Brad Hunt forward over him last year. Exactly. Yeah. So he has not played a playoff game and that was with Cogliano breaking his neck and all these things happening in the playoffs where they needed another person and they still did not go to McDermott. So if you go in and acquire a, a, a center that can play the second line role and you know, there's rumors about Hampus or uh, uh, Elias Lindholm, there's things like that, but I would just honestly say another Ross Colton level player. It doesn't need to be a guy that has a clear cut number two. Colton is, you know, kind of building his way, but kind of like that fringe two, three center. Yeah. What I like to call a two Adam and a half line center. Adam, Adam Henry. Yep. Yeah. Who's the other one? Um, Sean Monahan, like guys like that. Yeah. Not I wonder about his speed. Yeah. Power, like, cause you, what you don't want, like you've in our texts between each other, you've brought up some guys that are like, almost like more, what if like, like uh, you're betting on potential more than anything else. And I think yeah. if you're, if you're admitting the Ryan Johansson experiment hasn't worked out the way you wanted, then you need to, you can't be, you can't, your move yeah. can't just be trying to get someone who you're hoping for the best with. Yeah. And I also think like, I don't, I don't think it's a guarantee that Ryan Johansson is traded. Like, I, I think that it's, that's not an easy contract to move. Clearly the like players in the room really like him. I think that they need to figure out, some things with it though. Cause I, I don't think that their center depth is, is good enough as currently constructed. And so whether that's, whether that means moving Johansson or finding other salaries you can get out. I mean, they've got a little bit of cap space to work with. Yeah. Um, Cause if you like, they, they don't have, um, they don't have uh Tatar on the books anymore. So that's a little bit of flexibility. And there's, there are guys like Monaghan, if they, traded for him he's and montreal retained like he's on a pretty reasonable contract and and i think he's at like 1.9 million so i think you're looking at less than a million retained so i i don't think it's like a guarantee that they trade johansson um in part just because i think it's that's a hard contract to move i mean it's four million for next year too yeah if and, and, you know, that's something that they would have to deal with in the summer, especially if you're expecting Gabe Landeskog back, you just can't have it. But obviously I'm not on cap friendly right now, but the reason why I said he would be the one that you would need to move to Cape, make the cap work is, you know, if you acquire Sean Monaghan at 25% retained, even at one and a half million or Adam Henrique at 50% retained at 2.8 million or whatever it is, 2.9 million, it makes it a little bit easier to swallow in the sense of like McKinnon line one. 
Henrique slash Monahan line two, Colton line three, Johansson line four. But the cap's got to work. If the cap works, so be it. Is your fourth line center making $4 million? Yes. Are you going to want to have that next season? Not even a chance. There's no way the Avalanche even allow that to happen. But if you can make the cap work, if you get Monahan at 1 million, 1.2, and he could be the guy on the second line and Johansson's on the fourth. Well, that solves my issue of needing two centermen because ultimately yeah. for me, Frederick Olofsson's a great, you know, depth piece. I don't think you want to go into the playoffs in his first year as a full-time NHL center being your number four option. And then no, knowing that one injury away from Olofsson's in your top nine and who's the next one, Ben Myers. I don't know. Like it's not yeah. a player they trust. So Andre Pavel. Yeah. Guys like that. So to me, it's, it's McKinnon insert blank name here, Ross Colton, and then either Ryan Johansson, or he's moved out to bring in somebody who's at a lower cost. And then on the wings, honestly, you have your Druin and Rantanen and Lekkinen and Nichushkin, assuming Val comes back, which is not a guarantee, but we'll see where that goes. Those are your top four wingers. You have Wood, you have O'Connor, you have Cogliano, and I'm missing one, obviously Parise. Like those yeah. are your bottom four. And then Kiviranta is your next option. Yeah. So and it like kind if, of, if the Avs go on a long playoff run, Kiviranta and Olofsson will play in the playoffs because there will be injuries. Yeah. Exactly. But you want those guys to be the ones coming in rather than the ones Bingo. moving up in the lineup. And that's exactly what they did when they went out and acquired Nico Sturm and Cogliano. They made it so that their next guy up, like they healthy scratched Andre Burakovsky, I think Alex Newhook. They, they healthy scratched at various points in the playoffs. They healthy scratched Logan O'Connor. Alex Newhook, Andre Burkowski, Nicholas Kubel. Like they, they, they were healthy scratching like good players. Like these are guys who a lot, like Alex Newhook, I think didn't play in the first round. I don't think he played until the St. Louis series. Um, And then, yeah, they scratched Sturm at points too. Like those are like, they scratched like five pretty good, reliable NHL players. And that team was also just like loaded, but you Mm -hmm. see that, I mean, Vegas last year, like, Paul Cotter scored, I forget how many goals in the regular season. He was a productive player in the bottom six. He didn't play in the playoffs. I think the Iron Man did not play in the playoffs. Yeah. Phil Kessel didn't play after the Winnipeg series. Like they, they really like these good teams. Yeah. These good teams, they, the lineup gets, it's, it's, you, you, you have depth because there are going to be injuries. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, ultimately to me, you're probably going to split up O'Connor from Wood and Colton at some point because I think maybe Parise is the guy you put there and O'Connor goes back with Cogliano. Not that you're demoting O'Connor, but you know that works. Like if your fourth line is Cogliano, Johansson, O'Connor, because you somehow made the salary cap work, so be it. Like, and maybe that's the third line. Like, I mean, that was te- the Cogliano-Helm-O'Connor line was the fourth line in the playoffs the year they won, but that was the third line. It was playing more minutes yeah. than the... Like new hook comfort. Yeah, like that's Sturm true. Line or whatever. The way the way that I see it, insert player name as second line center playing with Val and, and Lekkinen, assuming Val's back. Your third line is Wood, Colton, Parise. Your fourth line is O'Connor, Cogliano, and Johansson slash another center. Kiviranta, Olison are your extras. That just seems like the perfect way to, to fix this team's forward core. And then you're bringing in a goalie, like whether it's a Mark Andre Fleury, whether it's a Jake Allen, whether it's a lesser name, like you got to bring in somebody that can give you of the last 30 three games now because they're at 49 that can give you ah, i don't know 10 12 starts out of it to just to kind of ease up on the workload for georgiev but we are running short on time here before we uh 
wrap up here, I just want to talk about your experience in Colorado. I have two questions for you. Number one, the Stanley Cup final is an obvious choice, but what are, let's say, your top three memories of covering this team? Just so that you don't just say Stanley Cup final. That might take one of them. Give me three. Yeah, that I mean, the Cup final was that that was a special. That whole playoff run was really just like a ton of fun. I mean, you got to we got to experience playoff hockey in Canada with McDavid versus McKinnon. Like that's pretty even if that series was a sweep, like it was still pretty when McDavid scored that first goal in game three and the crowd is going crazy. Like I I remember that moment of like, wow, this is pretty, pretty special. So I'm going to say that whole run was just like the St. Louis series was a just filled with like emotion and nastiness. Some of the nastiness was not the fun (laughs) type of nastiness. It was, but um, that was my hometown too. So it was like kind of fun being back there. The Darren Helm game is an all timer. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so that, that whole, uh, that whole season was, or playoff run was really special. I think covering, um, McKinnon's cup day in Halifax was, was definitely one of my favorite memories. Like I, I think one, I just loved the city. I thought it was like, incredible it was so beautiful i love the water it was so that was just special on a lot of different levels of both in terms of um a really cool experience to cover it but also just like a really fun place to be um and to experience and see and i think that honestly traveling has been i've been really grateful for the places i've gotten to see largely through the colorado avalanche finland is probably in the top three there like of of being able to go to this country that if I, if I didn't cover hockey, I was never going to go to Finland in my life. Like that just probably was not going to happen. And Mm -hmm. instead I went and had like a really special week there where I got to see three really cool cities, try different foods that I'm used to explore like different streets and, and just like wander around a really cool place. And um, so those, I guess those are three. We'll go the, the playoff run, the um Halifax and Finland um but they're just like I think honestly like the there are countless like just like I don't know days in the press box in the press room just like shooting the shit with the other reporters or, or kind of laughing about things that happen in the locker room or in the or during a game and talking with you and Evan and Bennett and Corey and Mike Chambers and all these folks like it, it's it, it was a it was a really special right and I also I forgot a, there, there were tons of other reporters yeah, I yeah, talked yeah, to yeah. as well. <laughs> wonderful people who I love a lot. Um, and yeah, really, really special. Really thankful for all of it. When you look back at your time here, what are you most proud of? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I, I guess I think I came in not knowing very much about the sport and I think I was able to build trust and both among the people I covered and my like readers um, because I, I think I worked pretty hard to like, just get better at it. And, uh, and I, so I, I'm, I'm proud of that effort that I, I put in. And I think that allowed me to, when there were big moments, whether it was the playoffs or something crazy mm-hmm. happened in the regular season, I was kind of able to, I guess, cover them in a way that I was proud of because I think I, did the legwork. So I, I am proud of that. And I'm, I'm hoping I can 
do that again in my my new start out here out east. Legacy is a big word. It's not a word that I'm just going to throw at you for leaving a legacy here or anything like that. But I think one of the biggest things that you can always take away from somebody's tenure and whatever they do, an athlete, a reporter, and any other industry is not the longevity or how long they were there. That Sure, that matters, but it's the impact that they had when they were there. You know, you look at someone like Nazem Kadri was here for three seasons and one of them, two of them were cut short. People are going to talk about Nazem Kadri here a heck of a lot more than they will about Matt Duchesne, Paul Stassi, Ryan O'Reilly, people that were here for more than double the time he was here. People are going to remember and talk about Darcy Kemper here, who was here for one year, won 37 regular season games. He hasn't even won that much with Washington yet since he left. Then they will about Semyon Varlamov, who behind Patrick Waugh has pretty much every avalanche longevity record as goalies. You were here for three years. You kind of, that's the way that I think of Peter Baugh's coverage in Denver. It wasn't this long time 15 20 year reporter it was a guy that in three years left a lasting impression do you feel that way wow that's that's very kind i i i don't know <laughs> but i i really i really appreciate you saying that that's very sweet i don't know about if i i i i think i i did some stories i was proud of that i think people liked and i would like to think that we had a really good dynamic just in terms of the press box. And I, I don't think that was just me, but I think just like in general, I think we had good folks and, and um, yeah. So I, I don't, I don't know if I, uh, the, the, the legacy quit, that feels a little, a little, a uh, little much for, for me, but I, uh, I, I let's definitely... go with lasting impression. Let's go with lasting impression. You left a lasting impression here in three years. Well, I, and I, I appreciate you <laughs> saying that it, it's, it, it was, it was a lot of fun and obviously the city and the people mean a lot to me and the, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was great. So I, that's very kind of you to say, I guess I should say. So cool. That's, that's uh, basically all I had planned. We are going to see you here in March with the New York Rangers. Maybe we'll see you here again in, in June <laughs> with the New York Rangers. Hey, yeah. <laughs> uh, the hockey world is very small. It's so great. Like there are reporters that I haven't seen since the Stanley cup final that I still text regularly. There are reporters I haven't seen since 2020, 2019 pre COVID that you still text regularly. So it's just going to be fun to kind of hop around these cities, run into you from time to time, see what you're covering, what you're doing. Uh, but with that, any closing comments, thoughts, things you want to get off your chest and we'll, we'll wrap her up here. Uh, nothing comes to mind. I, re I really appreciate this. It was, it was uh, fun reminiscing and, and talking about the abs again. Well, cool deal. Thanks a lot, Peter. Like I said, I'll see you here in uh, about a month and a half. Hope you enjoy your time in New York. And with that, for everybody listening, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little hearts. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we out you.